It's Herb Alpert and the T1 of Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. Uh, in fact, to say that this is Fangraphs Audio, in the case of this episode, I would say is only half correct. It is only half correct to say this is an edition of Fangraphs Audio because, uh, in fact, this is a simulcast. What it what follows is a simulcast between Fangraphs Audio, uh, hosted by me, Carson Sestouli, uh, and furthermore, uh, with the other, uh, with Baseball Prospectus, uh, with the, the Baseball Prospectus, podcast effectively wild uh, hosted by the very able Ben Lindbergh uh, and the uh, I'd say the equally able Sam Miller uh, both of baseball prospectus uh, we uh, utilize to some degree the format of their show uh, which is to say that every member of the podcast every participant has a topic or facilitates a discussion asks the question this sort of thing Ben Lindbergh uh, said, uh, in what ways are the 2013 Yankees like the 2012 Orioles? Uh, he said that, and he also was uh, asking how the uh, how the Yankees are perhaps capable of picking up players like a Travis Hafter or Ichiro or perhaps Eric Chavez last year, and uh, that is veterans who seem to be past their prime and to make them productive once again. I ask about um, how uh, Ben and Sam consume baseball, consume live baseball? How do they watch it? On what devices? Uh, do they go to live games? Do they listen on the radio? Etc. And finally, uh, Sam, uh, before he goes to pick up his child that he made uh, with his wife, uh, before he goes to do that, uh, he facilitates, he starts a brief discussion about the uh, scouting reports that have recently been released by the Hall of Fame. Uh, perhaps he says something like, to what end these scouting reports? And then uh, 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 ben and I quickly give our responses, but this is I'm, what I'm doing is recapping the show. But there's, uh, it's full of considerably more glory uh, than these uh, banal descriptions might suggest. So prepare yourself for glory on the one hand. Uh, prepare yourself also for Ben Lindbergh and Sam Miller uh, on this uh, simulcast uh, edition of Fangraphs Audio slash Effectively Wild, which begins right now. Um, this is great. This is already great. This is fantastic already. <laughs> I came with tea pre-prepared. Yeah. Um, and I will be enjoying a Czech var. I'll be enjoying a Czech var, uh, a Czech lager. I don't remember what you were drinking the last time we did this. I remember that we discussed pumpkin ale. Oh, it might have been a pumpkin ale. I think yeah, it was. Actually, uh... Uh, my interest in this beer comes with a slightly sheepish admission, uh, which is that I started drinking uh, or becoming more interested in Czech lagers after watching the Rick Steves edition of uh, Rick Steves Europe. Or I should say the Czech the Czech Republic edition of Rick Steves Europe that I watched with my wife during yeah, dinner on Hulu. Huh? Yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> I don't know. What are you talking about? Do you know who Rick Steves is? No. Oh, he is a, uh, a travel writer who is known for taking Europe through the back door. Excuse me? <laughs> it's true. You can Google it right now. <laughs> Europe through the back door with Rick Steves. <laughs> well, I like the title. All right. Yeah, I, I have verified that that's a thing. Yep. Uh, yeah, you can watch. Uh, he's, a, he's on. Um, he has his own series of books. 
but he also has a television show on PBS. As a supporter of the public broadcasting, I, I like to watch uh, Rick Steves, and uh, so does my wife. You and your wife don't like to enjoy each other's conversation over dinner without <laughs> Rick Steves intruding? Oh, yeah, God, God, no. No, no. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, it's marriage. It's not a friendship. I wouldn't know. You guys, you guys know. Well, Sam seems to have a. Know. She seems to have a sweet. You seem to have a sweet wife, Sam Miller. She's always making him cookies. I guess they they make them together. Yeah. Yeah, my wife's a my wife's a peach. Why do you ask? And you have at least you have at least one child, yeah. I have exactly one child. In fact, <laughs> I have uh, greater than or equal to one child. Well, just equal to, really. Yeah, but uh, it's easier to just do that. Like when you're doing a play index search, a lot of times it's easier to <laughs> choose greater than or equal to, or mm-hmm. or a filter on Excel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've chosen to be. Uh, I, I try not to be restrictive in my uh, in my queries, so that's why I. That's the, the the more. Um, and however many children you should have, you will not have to adjust the terms yeah. that you exactly. use. Well, now that you have. I hope, hopefully you won't have to. Uh, it would, certainly only it would be a cause of it would be tragic. Great joke, Carson. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. Are you part? Are you sitting down and ready to participate, Sam, or are you? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. I'm also ready. Okay. Do you remember how we do this, Carson? Yeah, you have um, you have your uh, introduction thing. I guess I I don't know. Uh, you, you do go ahead. You, you guys are in charge. You can do whatever you want. I have a, I have a topic. I can't guarantee that it's good, uh, but I okay. think it will generate at least a minute of conversation. So, uh, I have my minute accounted for. All right, good. Right. Well, that's all we need. So, all right, uh, Ben. Uh, uh, yeah, you do it. All right. All right. Uh, you ready? Three, two. Oh, two oh four. What? Two oh four. Is this two oh four? Oh yes. Uh, three, two, one. Good morning, and welcome to episode 204 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast on baseballperspectus.com. I'm here with uh, Ben Lindbergh, of course. I'm Sam Miller, and today we're joined uh, as well by Carson Stooley for the second annual uh, crossover podcast. Uh, while we are recording this, Carson is also recording for uh, Fangraphs Audio. Carson, how are you doing? I'm well. How are you? Have you considered that you're missing an opportunity to have a baseball-themed podcast name, like such as Swinging Bunt, or perhaps? Uh, well, that's really the only thing. Why don't you call it Swinging Bunt? <laughs> um, yeah, that's uh, that's a reasonable question. Um, I, I prefer something that's just maybe something more plainly descriptive. He's a company man. Well, no. I mean, what do you what do you get? Did you have what now? Fringe average? What are you guys? We do. We are we are effectively wild. Effectively we have, wild, yeah. We have a fringe average as yep. well. Um. Oh, I could call it maybe. Uh, I could call drop, it. Drop third strike. Owing to the irreverent nature of of the uh, podcast, I could call it out of left field, perhaps. Mm-hmm. We actually have an out of left field column. Yes. On this. Oh, Matthew you Corey's do. column. So sorry that that is taken. That is taken. Uh, well, yeah. Uh, I guess that's it then. No, I prefer, uh, I like uh, very uh, terse, descriptive words. So, audio, 
this is, for me is appealing to me. Um, it, I can guarantee it's not appealing to many people. Um, if our numbers are any it's indication, the mm-hmm. yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, miserable. Really, just. But, I mean, if you want to keep it on the audio tip, you could call it, for instance, "Sounds of the Game" or oh, okay. "Crack of the Bat." <laughs> Crack of, yeah, the, uh, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I will take that into consideration, Sam Miller. <laughs> okay. You are hundreds of episodes in at this point, so you're not obligated to to change names midstream. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I appreciate that, Ben Lindbergh. <laughs> so uh, all parties have been heard from on this matter. Mm-hmm. Was that your was that was that the to- your, topic? That was your topic. Okay. <laughs> all right, very good. Uh, uh, we all actually did bring topics. We have three topics today. Carson, uh, what topic did you bring? I'm going to ask about uh, uh, you guys, your strategies for consuming baseball, for consuming live baseball, uh, whether it be uh, MLB TV, actual broadcast television, radio, etc. Sure. Ben? Uh, I wanted to talk about the ways that the 2013 Yankees are or are not like the 2012 Orioles. Uh, interesting. That's, uh, that's a good slate pitch. <laughs> right. Yeah, so I'm wasting it here. And I'd like to talk about uh, the uh, the goldmine of scouting reports that we've all recently been exposed to on the Internet. Excellent. Look forward to it, Sam Miller. Okay. So, uh, Ben, why don't you start because you have a topic that's real. <laughs> sure. Uh, okay. So I've been, I've been pondering, I guess, uh, how much – how much credit a, a general manager such as Brian Cashman uh, or, or a manager such as Joe Girardi should, should be given for the success of the Yankees this year and the way that they have succeeded. Uh, and it seems like there are some parallels to what we saw from the Orioles last season, but also uh, some ways in which they are dramatically different. I, I guess we spent most of last season talking about the Orioles' run differential and how it did not seem to agree with their actual record, uh, especially early in the season. And we talked a lot about their record in one-run games, uh, especially how it was excellent. Uh, they went 29-9 and in, in one-run games, uh, and we attributed that, I guess, largely to luck as well as to a good bullpen, I guess, uh, I guess informed minds can can disagree about the extent to which one or the other deserves credit for that. But the the Yankees uh, have the same sort of one run winning thing going on right now. They are eight and two in one run games, which is actually a higher winning percentage than twenty nine and nine. Uh, and they also seem to have the the pretty good bullpen going on, or the pretty good back of the bullpen, and. They have a run differential that is pretty good, not quite as good as their actual record, but but not so different that we would forecast some sort of massive decline. Um, but then when you start looking at the, the individual performances and taking in triple slash lines of players like Travis Hafner and Vernon Wells and maybe to a lesser extent Lyle, Lyle Overbay, uh, you start to wonder, I guess, whether... Whether that was anticipated or whether we shouldn't really give the Yankees any more credit for that than just sort of signing those guys as stopgaps or trading for those guys as stopgaps because they needed a warm body and those warm bodies have produced more than 
more than we expected and, and maybe more than the Yankees have expected, or whether Brian Cashman or Joe Girardi actually has some skill in getting more out of players like this than you would expect. I think there is there's a perception maybe that there is some sort of Yankees magic when it comes to resuscitating uh, seemingly undead players like this, uh, whether it be Wells or Hafner or, or Itro last season, and otherwise rational writers who would require evidence uh, for, for, for things like this would maybe accept the idea that there is some sort of Yankee talent to resuscitating players like this. Which is so interesting because there's that flip side, which is the, the, the narrative that's been around since like at least the early 80s, that if you're good and you go to New York, it, it, it kills you. Yeah, or at least with, with certain people, I guess there's the narrative that certain people cannot handle New York in a way that you don't tend to hear about, say, players not being able to handle Milwaukee, for instance. Um, so I don't know. I think I, I might write about that tonight and kind of look at whether there is any evidence that that the Yankees are better at this than any other team. Um, but I wanted to get your guys' your thoughts on, I don't know, how much of this is fluke, how much is is good planning or ability to, to find underappreciated talents, um, and, and how the rest of this season will play out. I guess it's, it's different than the Orioles in that the Yankees have established players on the way back or, or back now or almost back, uh, so that if their if their luck kind of subsides as the season goes on, maybe they will be able to replace it with actual talent. Um, but discuss. Well, uh, Sam, would you mind if I said a thing? Please. Yeah. The um, <clears throat> so with regard to to this uh, this point with regard uh, uh, concerning Yankees magic, whether it exists or not. Mm-hmm. Um, cer- certainly, I have nothing definitive to say on the matter. However, I do remember at one point Cody Ross. Uh, mentioning, I don't know whether it might, might, must have been an interview I read with him, uh, where he was talking about how miserable he was when he was in Miami, uh, nay Florida, with the Marlins, in that the organization was uh, generally not like a, it was not necessarily a fun place to be. No fault necessarily of the uh, field management or his teammates, but just that the organization seemed like it was not particularly well run, and of course. Cody Ross had decent, uh, if not necessarily excellent, seasons, as in Marlin, and um, that's you know it's very possible that's just because that was his talent level. And then um, he went to San Francisco, and I actually don't know. I'll be honest if he was better or not better, but I do know that he was that he was good in the in the very right time, such that his legacy uh, became, I guess. Um, well, he had one. Is the point? <laughs> People knew who Cody Ross was all of a sudden because he had, well, he had like what three or four home runs in a playoff series or something. He did something good. Anyway, the point being that, and then of course he went to Boston, um, and now he's now he's in Arizona. Now he's like a real player. That could just be a function of, of uh, getting older and his name being around more. It uh, could be a function of playing in larger markets like San Francisco, Boston, etc. It does seem as though that. Um, because now you know that's that's a case where if you're playing for the Marlins and then you're playing in markets that care like the Giants and the Red Sox uh, do, that that you might be more inclined to at least reach your peak performance. Um, that seems like it's a it's a possibility. But I, I would be interested, I guess, in the dis- in the construction of a study that would that would be gauged to measure such a thing. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess the the study would be interesting in in the sense that it would first um, fall to whomever was conducting the study uh, to um, to essentially to to rate like um, the affability of different organizations, and mm-hmm. um, that seems like it would require a lot of anecdotal information. Um, it's likely not to happen, but I would like to see a sort of ranking of, t- of organizations that are best uh, down to worst to play for. I mean, I assume that you know, I assume that the Marlins are actually an organization for which players don't particularly care to play, except for the fact that they're getting a chance in the major leagues. Uh, and then perhaps, uh, I don't know, who knows? Maybe an organization like the Brewers, for example, is a, you know, uh, um, is one for which players do like to play because it's a uh, you know, there's uh, people, you know, I mean, like, for example, um, Milwaukee or Miller Park gets uh, pretty excellent attendances, especially relative to the population of the city. So maybe that's a good thing. But I don't know. Uh, that, that that would be the most exciting thing for me, at least in beginning to ask the question of do the Yankees have a certain magic? Do organizations generally, uh, do players like playing for some organizations other than others? So, um Ben, a couple of weeks ago, weren't we asked something about the Yankees and Pakoda and whether uh, they, they, whether Pakoda is constantly too like low on the Yankees or too high on the Yankees or something yes. like that? Mm-hmm. And the question was asked from the perspective that there's, you know, that there must be something biased about Pakoda if that were the case. Um, but in in this sort of scenario that you're suggesting, whereby uh, either Brian Cashman is is better at identifying these players or there's something about playing for the Yankees that makes them better, it would actually be that these players are, in a way, biased uh, toward outperforming Pakoda, if that were true. Mm-hmm. And uh, remind me, we found nothing? Is that right? Over the course yeah, of the Yeah, I think we found something like a win per season, or, or a, a little less even, that the Yankees had exceeded their preseason projection, and we sort of attributed that either to nothing or maybe to the their tendency to be in contention and trade for players at midseason, which is not something you can account for in a preseason projection, or at least something that we are not currently accounting for. Yeah, that sounds very likely. I mean, they're always going to be able to purchase a player at the deadline. So yeah. So we talked about whether it would be wise to to insert some sort of fudge factor for for teams like the Yankees, or maybe just the Yankees. Uh, or, or I guess we said if a team is, is forecasted to be a contender, then you would give them some small boost on top of that with the idea that, that they would be in a position to be buyers. Yeah, So, but anyway, if, if, if there were actually some, uh, if, if individual Yankees were outperforming for whatever reason, it would show up in them you know, being projections. Although, I guess theoretically, you might, uh, like we mentioned a minute ago, there might be other players who... Uh, are just the opposite. So I guess if you were studying this, you would want to see whether there was a, a, a larger spread in each direction that would cancel it, each other out. Um, but, I mean, my guess is that that would be a, a lot of research for nothing conclusive or nothing even particularly suggestive. Mm-hmm. I did, uh, strangely enough, I talked to a player yesterday who just sort of tossed in as an aside uh, when we were talking about why some players, uh, you know, why some teams do better and some teams do worse than you expect tossed in as an aside the idea that playing in New York or Boston makes players better uh, just feeling special to be there you know that uh, and, and he was I think he was actually he was talking about it in the context of um, of getting an extension if you 
if you're a you know fourth year player and your team gives you an extension, you feel uh, like this club values you, and it it gives a little bit of boost to your confidence. And if they say, "Oh, we'll go year to year with you," they're basically telegraphing to you, "We think you're going to fall apart next year," or or something. And uh, so similarly, uh, he said that there was you know uh, there was a, a Boston slash New York factor where. You feel like, uh, you know, you just got hired by, you know, like it'd be like if one of us got hired by Sports Illustrated or something. It would, uh, it would either make you feel really great because you made it to the top of the game or it would make you feel, uh, wrapped with pressure and you would probably collapse in shame and anxiety like all three of us would do. Yeah, uh, that sounds more likely, that latter one. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. There are mechanisms in place that would explain this phenomenon if you saw it. Uh, I, uh, and not to think that we've seen it, um, because I, I think we would notice if a, if, this, if if there was a uh, well. I mean, I, I would think we would notice, but maybe we wouldn't notice. Maybe nobody has looked at it. Um, but as for the the Yankees this year, um, they are. I, you know, I we talked last year about the Orioles' luck, and we also talked about the A's' luck, which was a totally different kind of luck. Mm-hmm. In one luck, the front office got lucky, and the crappy players they signed played well. And in the other uh, kind of luck, the team got lucky by playing crappy and somehow winning anyway. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Yankees are like like maybe a third of each kind of luck and a third of actually being like underneath it all uh, like a pretty good team. I mean, even in their injured state, yeah, they're getting this random value out of Vernon Wells and Lyle Overbay. But, you know, they're also getting good value out of Robbie Cano, who's a superstar, and they're getting value out of Brett Gardner, who's a, who's a very good player, and they're getting value out of Hiroki Kuroda and CeCe Spathia and Mariano Rivera. I mean, most of their, you know, at the very top of their warp leaderboard, uh, you see a lot of good names. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's, uh, there's, a, there's a genuineness, I think, to this team that you wouldn't say about the Orioles last year at all. Uh, I would also submit... Uh at uh, the site recently of Fangraphs, uh, Jesse Wolfersberger uh, did a uh, did did some work on the 2012 Orioles as representative of um, uh, a team that has had succeeded, as we've mentioned, uh, as we've mentioned here, as a team that succeeded uh, uh, in one-run games. Uh, and he looked at uh, he looked at other teams. Uh, I think uh, 2007 to 2011 to see. Uh, what the qualities were that belonged to uh, teams that had excelled in one-run games. Um, in addition to uh, a strong relief core, um, and in particular, it appears as though it was uh, strikeout rates uh, f- uh, among the strikeout. Yeah, strikeout rates among relievers. He also found that teams with higher isolated power uh, were more likely to have uh, to be winning one-run games, um, which. Um, this could apply to the Yankees. Uh, they don't have the highest mark by that measure at this point. Um, I think that they're, you know, like 10th or something like that. Uh, but they do seem, with their roster, to have potential. And, of course, every year, you know, they have a team that's probably top third or top, uh, top, you know, top five in isolated, uh, isolated slugging. Was there a, a hypothesis for why isolated power would be relevant? Because that seems like a, a, a statistic that would intuitively lead to greater margins of victory and, and, and loss. Um, good point, Sam Miller. <laughs> uh, sorry, I, unless I were to reread it in the, uh, literally this minute and we'll just let the, let the podcast go quiet, <laughs> I would not know. Uh, but 
Yeah, I guess because you can hit a home run. You hit one home. You hit a home run. You hit a home <laughs> run, and then the team, and the team wins. <laughs> you hit. Can, um, That's your Q, one run. QED. Right. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> We've concluded. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, Good job. Yeah, so there we go. I think uh, we've uh, established all the answers. Carson, why don't you keep talking now about your topic? Oh, yeah, very good. Um, So recently, actually, on this, uh, on Fangraphs Audio, of which this is currently half Fangraphs Audio, uh, recently I had a conversation with a colleague and um, almost friend at this point, near friend, uh, Robert J. Bauman, who writes for Notgraphs, and we got to discussing uh, techniques or strategies uh, for consuming baseball, uh, not necessarily like these were not necessarily tips um, for listeners because uh, neither Bauman nor I have really any idea of what we're doing with our own lives. Uh, but mostly, it was an opportunity to uh, share, perhaps learn from each other, uh, if not from each other's strengths, then certainly from each other's weaknesses, um, which is the uh, which is a sort of thing that friends can do for each other. Uh, he, and we were talking about ways we consume. I had asked him, I said, well, you live in Milwaukee. He lives in Milwaukee. I said, you live in Milwaukee. Uh, you must listen quite a bit to games on the radio, as one would if he or she lived in Milwaukee, because uh, the very excellent Bob Euchre, of course, does uh, does the radio there. Um, but he said for out-of-market games, what he likes to do is, uh, like, for example, recently he was putting together some chapbooks, like, manually. So what he would do is he would clear off his desk, and he would have he would be putting together the chapbooks manually, and then uh, next to his desk, he has a like a tall trash can. Uh, he would put like a piece of cardboard over it, put his computer on that, open up his computer, and then watch games on MLB.tv uh, using that. Um, I know that I, for example, the, uh, one thing I will frequently do is while I'm working, especially at night uh, or mid-afternoon uh, for for Ben Lindbergh, um, <laughs> it would. Uh, what I will do is uh, I'll have a game on using MLB TV on uh, my PlayStation uh, 3. Mm-hmm. I'll have a game on, so it's sort of in the corner of the eye. And usually it's, at this point it's going to be a West Coast game. Um, so, for, for example, if the Dodgers are playing at home, I'll frequently uh, watch those games just out of the corner of my eye, uh, but also to have Vin Scully's voice on um, because it's um, reassuring and, um, and uh, a nice thing to, to sort of... Um, have keeping you company, uh, especially in the dark of night when all the uh, when all not it, it's not just dark outside, but it's also dark inside uh, one's thoughts. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's it. And um, uh, we talked about maybe watching games on the computer. Like for example, I subscribe to MILB TV. However, mm-hmm. I will frequently not just sit down to watch a full game. Uh, usually, I will utilize that to go look at a particular pitcher or a particular batter. Uh, As but, will I. Yeah, but I will I will generally not just sit down and watch like nine innings like at my desk or whatever. I find it so not pleasant. So I'm curious. Mm-hmm. Uh, and let's see who answered. Well, Sam, you. I guess I maybe I begin. Well, let's let's start with Ben Lindbergh. Uh, oh, and of course, watching games live at the stadium is another thing, uh, another possibility. And perhaps there's some that I've neglected. But I'm curious. Uh, as to what your uh, strategies are for consuming live baseball. So I have uh, I have the PS3 set up, and that is probably the, the primary way that I watch baseball at this point. Um, I do my 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 work computer is is not in the same room as my PlayStation. Uh, so what I do have is multiple monitors, uh, as well as as a a TV that is 
connected to my computer and is not connected to a cable box. So its its sole purpose is to serve as sort of a, a third monitor. Uh, so that is above my two actual computer monitors. So what I will do is is kind of stick baseball on that third monitor uh, where I can glance up at it from time to time. But I do have difficulty multitasking where baseball is concerned, I think. Uh, I, I, I can succeed at multitasking where some tasks are concerned, but if there is an actual entertaining baseball game on any screen in my vicinity, I find myself not really capable of doing any work whatsoever. Uh, and so that is kind of a problem. Um, because of my sort of strange sleeping schedule, I am often writing or editing during prime baseball playing time yeah. uh, or or sometimes stressing about the podcast and how I have nothing to talk about. Um, and so generally I, I might have it on in the background, but lately I've been I've been more of a consumer of of highlight shows actually uh, just because it, it is it is a more efficient, Less less pleasurable in some ways, but more efficient way to consume baseball and and stay apprised of baseball developments. What's so your, will, so can you uh, talk about your go-to? Um, I I will I'll put on I will put on Quick Pitch usually. Okay. Uh, on on MLB Network, not not because I have any special affinity for that particular show, or because I think it's it's better produced than than any other highlight show, but it is just kind of always on in the middle of the night. Uh, when I am when I am laboring, um, so I, I put it on and kind of see what happened that way. Uh, but during the week, it is it is rare that I will sit down and, and watch a game from start to finish. Yeah, that sounds about right. So, but but quick pitch now. Do you know quick pitch is on? That's on MLB Network. Do you know if that's available uh, via the internet? Uh, I do not know okay. that. All right, that's fine. That's fine. That's. Uh, uh, we've done no research, it should be noted, mm-hmm. so um, let that be the case. Um, Sam Miller, I defer to you now. Yeah, so I uh, I actually have a hard time uh, watching baseball, which is not to say that I don't watch baseball. I watch a great deal of it, but uh, I have a hard time enjoying it now in a, in, for a few reasons, um, uh, primarily because I'm, I'm very unproductive when I do it, and even though it is uh, my, my job to do it, it still doesn't even after these these years, it does not feel like my job. It still feels like I'm I'm shirking. And for instance, when I'm at home with my family and I'm watching baseball, uh, it feels to me as well as to my wife <laughs> like, like I'm not doing work. I, and it's uh, it's it's hard to it's hard for me to watch baseball, um, especially because like um, I have a great deal of shame over the way that I watch baseball. For fantasy baseball outcomes, still, okay. like you know, I, I even like I, in that case, I, it really feels like if I'm watching a pitcher who I'm rooting for for fantasy baseball uh, reasons, uh, there's no real intellectual work going on in my head. I'm completely wasting that time, and then I feel like I'm I'm using work as an excuse to uh, to have a totally pointless hobby. There's a um, there's a phenomenon, and I forget the the word for it, but it, it's something like like gamers regret or gamers remorse or something like that, which is the the sort of feeling that uh, that video game players have after playing for a long time, where like 
the adrenaline in their brain all just sort of dries up when they quit and they realize that they've just spent like nine hours staring unblinkingly at a screen and they feel sadness. There's a, there's like a sorrow to it. Yes, that uh, sounds, that mm-hmm. sounds, yes. That's, that I have sounds, experienced that. Yeah, and so, not, not just gaming, but it's true. Anytime you do one, I sort of like objectively, well, I mean, everything is meaningless. I think we can all agree on that, right? Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, but it's extra meaningless, I guess. Uh, meaningless mm-hmm. with a bullet. Um, yeah, that's, uh, so I, yeah, so I feel that I feel that, um, at the end of a lot of, I, I have a, I have a, a period of time each day when I can work before, um, you know, before I pick up my daughter and at the end of that time, if I've, if I've watched baseball in a, in a particular way, uh, which is to say, uh, uh, for entertainment or self-interest rather than, uh, as a, as a, as an intellectual pursuit, uh, I feel that sorrow and that that shame, and and in particular, I didn't answer the question quite so uh, specifically as you guys did, but I generally watch on my computer uh, on MLB TV, and it's MLB TV is an amazing thing. It's a great. I don't want to make this sound like I'm saying anything bad about MLB TV because it's an amazing thing, uh, but uh, it is not quite as soothing as, for instance, uh, staring at a beautiful sunset. Uh, it's, it's, it can be a, a bit, um, uh, I don't know, glitchy on your eyes to stare at this screen and have it be slightly less smooth than reality, um, and to be this, uh, you know, small box on a, you know, uh, uh slightly blurry screen, uh, and it messes with your head to some degree. And so, uh, I think there's also a physical reaction I have when I watch too much baseball. This is a, a weird thing to be saying, is it not, to, to be complaining about? <laughs> no, no, uh, no, no. I think it's interesting, though. But um, um, First of all, uh, Sam Miller, you know that I that I love you. Um, and I, I love you even more now because of... I I sense this about you, I guess, but now it's, it's very clear that you do... That most of the things you do, you do out of a deep sense of shame or <laughs> with a deep sense of shame or guilt... Um, in, in close attendance, and that's great. I think that's excellent. Because um, what I hear you saying is that even though to think and write about baseball is your job, when you watch baseball for pleasure, um, you feel as though you're doing something wrong. Um, yes. And that's excellent. I think that's great. Never, never change. <laughs> the um, uh, yeah, yeah. But I, I think the other thing is is interesting too. Is like, and it also just has to do with something that I'm sure will receive zero sympathy from anyone who likes thinking and writing about baseball but does not get paid for it, um, is that there? Uh, if you write baseball, maybe for all um, outlets, all news sources, uh, but certainly I know that as an, as an Internet baseball writer, um, there's not really any beginning or end to the day officially. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you feel as though you're always sort of expected to be I know that I always feel as though I'm always expected to be sort of half working or if even if I'm doing something that's like nominally uh, leisure like for leisure purposes like I will always sort of be checking to make sure that I don't necessarily know what would have happened because God knows uh, Dave Cameron at all did not expect me to write real analysis but um, yeah it's a I, I always feel as though I have to sort of have my eye cast for this side. maybe you know uh, at the very least maybe Matt Harvey has thrown an excellent slider uh, that requires um, t- uh, um, that needs to be rendered into animated GIF form, you know. Mm-hmm. So there's always sort of that tug um, that 
Um, well, it's the sort of thing when, when you're, you know, be careful what, what you wish for because it might come true. Um, it has come true, and it's excellent that it's come true. Uh, but it's not. Always, nothing's always going to be uh, excellent. I mean, um, you know, it's just how life is. It's burdened, it's burdened by fear and misery. I find yeah, that so I that I treat a baseball game now as as potential content, I guess, more yes. than recreation. In that, if anything notable or or odd or interesting happens in that game. I feel a pressure to to post about it uh, in order to have something to show for the the time that I spent watching that game. Um, so often there will there will be something weird like that. Someone will swing in a pitch that is that is three feet outside, and I will wonder how that ranks among pitches that people swung at that were really far outside. Uh, and then I will stop watching the game and I will go <laughs> look that up uh, and. Maybe it will actually be notable, and then suddenly I'll be writing something about it, and I am no longer watching or enjoying the game. Um, but I, 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 I got really, something out of it. Yeah, I enjoy that. Uh, that's what I enjoy most. I, I really enjoy... Uh, I, I also watch now looking for something to, to make a gif of, basically, or to look up on Play Index. And um, to me, feeling when you switch from the game to actually producing something that came out of the game to... To, to writing something out of it or to looking up something about it or, or even just a tweet that is useful. Um, <laughs> a tweet that is useful. Uh, uh, that, to me, uh, uh, kicks in a different part of my brain that's deeply satisfied. It's when I don't do that that I, I feel a bit odd. I, I'm also, uh, I was a radio kid growing up. Um, especially, I, I guess a lot of us probably were because unless you were a Cubs or a Braves fan, there'd be like maybe 40 games on a year. Uh, you know, they, they never aired home games, for instance, when I was a kid. Um, so I was always a radio guy, and I would do chores while I listened on the radio. And so baseball was never a uh, front-of-the-brain pursuit for me. It was always the thing that I listened to while I was doing other things. And I would listen to every every minute of every game and the pregame and the postgame, but it would be while doing chores or while playing ball or while, you know, sorting cards uh, always while doing something else, and I find that I still to this day enjoy baseball most uh, when it's uh, on a radio, when I'm you know outside pulling weeds, or when I'm doing the dishes and I'm and I'm listening rather than watching. Um, but MLB TV is so tempting; it's hard not to watch if you can watch, right. and that, that changes. I mean, your body does things when you sit down, when you stop, you know, when you go from a standing position to a sitting position. You're your body actually reacts in a lot of different ways. It basically thinks that you're going to sleep, and it shuts down. And um, you know, it's not—it's not healthy for us to sit. It's you know, extremely healthy for us to stand. And uh, so, I think anybody who has sat at a desk or sat at a TV screen for eight hours knows that uh, you know it, it does suck a little bit of energy out of you and changes your mood. Um, so I don't know. I, I have to be somewhat diligent about that. But I. Um, I love that baseball exists more than I have a, a, a huge desire to watch it uh, uh, a lot of times. Well, I will actually I'll add two things. Uh, one, I think that yeah, one of the things to which that draws me most to the game is the fact that it's, it's ubiquity. Uh, I mean, basically, you know, most times a day, uh, there's, there's, you know, there, it, there's a possibility there's going to be a game on. Uh, certainly, as you get to the evening, there's going to be a game on. And, yeah, I used it. Uh, I mean, my fondest memories of baseball are listening to it 
on WEI uh, radio out of Boston as I was falling asleep as a younger man. Um, and especially, you know, especially like if there was a West Coast game, that would be like, that would really nail it. And I would always, every night I would listen to games as I was falling asleep. And that was kind of my experience with it. And it was nice to know that as I was going to bed, it was going to be something, it was like, it's, it's so dependable. You know, it's like you you understand like the the narrative structure of a baseball game becomes so familiar, and then of course from that there are you know you, there are rough edges, um, and and uh, anomalies that occur. But the, the the main part of it is that it's a very comforting. It's the same voices. There's, you know, there was always Joe Castiglione um, as I was going to bed, so that was always very pleasant. The second thing I'll say is that I've actually started watching baseball standing up. Uh, I was not expecting to say that, but. Um, um, we always have my wife and I. We always have leftovers, and uh, because she knows I cannot take care of myself, uh, my wife always leaves the leftovers for me. Um, and when I come back from the cafe in the morning, I come back around noon or one. I will stand up in the kitchen and put on MLB TV either for a present game or a game from the day before, and I will watch that way. And it's actually much pleasant, much more pleasant. That's actually yeah. the way w- in which I've enjoyed watching baseball the most uh, in recent years. If I if I could just my bottom line for the answer to this question is if, if somebody asked me for advice on how to enjoy baseball more, uh, I would I would probably recommend that for a season, uh, just just don't watch a game on TV. Just uh, cut your MLB TV subscription for a season um, and just listen. Just do a season listening. And uh, you know I I don't do it. I, I if your job is to to watch games, then I wouldn't recommend it in that case. Um, but in the same way that I think that we all fantasize about not playing fantasy baseball, but we can't bring ourselves to do well, it. Well, no, well, we all, that's very general. I, I really you like, don't think, I like fantasy baseball a lot. Well, I do too, but don't, you don't, you don't, you don't ever fantasize about not doing it? <laughs> fantasize about not, not engaging my fantasies? No, I don't. Um, well, and maybe it's a little not, different. Fantasy not playing baseball? I, I don't actually, because I don't have a team. For which I, that I, in which I have any sort of rooting interest. So my rooting interest is in my two fantasy teams. Yeah. So I actually experience zero of the guilt that you mentioned before when I cheer for this or that pitcher because I feel like, I feel like you know, say I were still a Red Sox fan. Uh, on the one hand, I could cheer for Clay Buckholtz, and in, in that way, that would be a thing I was doing. And if Clay Buckholtz did well, I would feel good. And if he did poorly, then I would feel less good. Um, but when if Clay Buckholtz is on my fantasy team and he pitches well. Then what it does is not only is it good for my fans, it 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 signals to my um, league mates who are also my friends uh, that I know more about baseball than they do, and that yeah. is that is important currency. That is the most valuable currency, even more valuable than the pound, at it, mm-hmm. at the height of its value. <laughs> my uh, my my problem with with uh, my my shame about fantasy baseball is not that I'm rooting for morally suspect outcomes. It's that. Uh, I have no discipline with regards to monitoring. And so I will put uh, virtually any activity aside so that I can uh, check to see how Lonnie Chisinau did today. And there's a, I mean, I've spent, I've basically spent 17 years of my life clicking refresh on Yahoo. And it disgusts me (laughs) how many times I've clicked refresh, especially because I am not exaggerating. I am a Yahoo refresher. That is, that is how I check my team is, Clicking refresh on Yahoo. <laughs> they have they have extensions there is a stat that, will, that will do that for you. No yeah. joke. I, I will not do that because it's too easy. I don't. <laughs> I need the I need the thrill like a like a slot machine junkie. 
I actually need this, the tiny, tiny adrenaline hit that comes from refresh and uncertainty. If it updates manually, it's no, it's no pleasure at all for me. That's actually, yeah. I will actually, I'll be watching a game sometimes <laughs> on MLB TV, and it will be one second behind the Yahoo, or vice versa, whichever one I'm more engaged in. But say I'm watching it, and I'm, it's one second behind the Yahoo, and I will make sure that I can't see the Yahoo refresh because uh, it will spoil the outcome for me. Like once, like five seconds later, the outcome that I'm I'm actually counting on, and I don't want to have the outcome spoiled by the thing. It's bizarre. I mean, my brain is uh, is is wired differently when I'm doing fantasy baseball, and I, I don't particularly like it. So that's why that's why I fantasize about breaking that. I gave up fantasy a few years ago because I was noticing these symptoms of addictive behavior that clearly you are you continue to be afflicted with, uh, and maybe I've replaced it with, or at least, um, can you guys hear me? Yes. Because uh, I see that there's uh, we lost Carson. I think. Oh, should we pause? Yep. Uh, Hi. Hello. Hi. Too much. Too much magic. Uh, yeah, too much bandwidth or too much magic or not enough bandwidth. Uh, okay, I will attempt to pick up where I was um, now. So I have I have replaced uh, fantasy, I think, to some extent with reading about baseball, which. Oh wait a second! Wait, sorry. I sorry. I um I don't mean to interrupt, yes. but I didn't hear the end of Sam's thing. Oh. That's where I left off. Oh, I we I was just describing my addiction, and Ben said that yeah. uh, he quit fantasy a couple years ago because he also saw signs of addiction. Yes, in myself. So what do you want me to do? This is my I got a recording here. <laughs> I got a recording. I got to deal with. I could I could send you mine. Oh yeah, uh, could you send me that portion? Yes. Oh okay, that'd be great. Okay. Uh, all right, I'm just gonna start talking again. Yeah. Um, so I have I have replaced fantasy baseball to some extent with I think reading about baseball or, or consuming baseball uh, via Google Reader primarily for now while it still exists, um, and I feel kind of a constant pressure to be reading about baseball, which is mostly an enjoyable activity, uh, and I, I seek out articles about baseball, but I also feel kind of obligated to to be aware of everything that is going on, just sort of to be informed, to to make sure that I'm not duplicating an article that someone else just wrote uh, as, as a form of sort of opposition research or for inspiration or what have you. And doing that kind of constantly throughout the day, um, I guess, fulfills some portion of my need, my daily, my daily requirement, recommended daily requirement for baseball. Uh, so that by the time we get to the point where games actually begin to be played, I've been reading about baseball uh, on and off for hours and hours. And I know that I will do the same thing the next day so that whatever actually transpires in those games, I will find out about via text, uh, which maybe is is not it's not as as pleasant in some ways as actually watching it. Um, but I know I'm going to be aware of it. And so when I then have to, Start writing or editing. Uh, it is it is difficult to give myself over to that activity completely. Um, 
Well, good. Uh, Carson, can I just real quick? Uh, I was thinking that you could name your podcast the accounts and descriptions of this game. Oh. <laughs> yeah, but um, I was going to call it simulcast with baseball prospectus. No, I mean, I, you know, I mean always. <laughs> always name that. Accounts and descriptions. Uh, the accounts and descriptions of this game. I, what if I just do accounts and descriptions? I think that's that's a uh, people will recognize the language in its short. Yeah, accounts and descriptions. I think so. Uh, okay, I think it's. I, to be honest, I think it's just short of full recognition. Uh, I think that people will. I mean, it sounds somewhat like, um, like, like, a, uh, like, a, like a, uh, an accounting phrase, for instance. Okay. Sounds like sounds yeah. like something that you might hear from the accounting department. Accounts and descriptions of this game is very long, though. It's not a great title. The podcast that shall not be disseminated. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Better. Uh, well, right. we should move on. To yeah, our, we should move on. Yeah, channel. absolutely. Actually, yeah. Just so you know, I, I actually, I actually have to leave in eight minutes, and so we'll can, can, let's burn through it. But mm-hmm. um, the uh, wait, the it's baseball nighttime. Post- what do you? Oh no, no. I guess it's not that. It's not that late. You have a dinner or something. You have to pick up a child. No, pick up a child. Okay. Um, the uh, the Hall of Fame has posted on its website uh, a vast trove of old scouting reports. Uh, you and I and the other you, uh, not knowing which you I was referring to in that case, have all, I'm sure, consumed a number of these. And I just wanted to know if, uh, from each of you, uh, what you enjoy about them and whether you think that there's going to be further use for them in your lives or whether these are just uh, pure candy. Uh, I, I guess I'll begin. I I mean, I think the, the natural, the first thing that you, that you gravitate towards is... A report that is spectacularly wrong or mm-hmm. spectacularly right. Uh, just a, a player who a scout pegged perfectly when when no one else expected him to be as good as he became, or just someone who completely missed out on a player's potential. Those are just they're sort of entertaining. Um, they are entertaining, but I guess my question is that I can't. I, I'm trying to figure out what the significance of either of those are. I mean, we know that baseball right. is unpredictable. And we know that in some way, you know, that, that some scouts do get things. I mean, the scouts are better than us. So we know that both of those things are true. Uh, are these simply confirming things that we've already internalized and we like them because they're comforting? I guess so. Or, or yeah, I mean, just maybe the fact that, that a, a professional who is paid to evaluate players could be so wrong maybe makes us feel better about our own predictive powers, um, possibly. I, I think there is there's potential for for research certainly with with scouting reports. I'm not sure that that these scouting reports are presented in a, a form that lends itself to research. Uh, just in that you you kind of have to look at one. I mean, it's not really in a in a easily transferable to a database format where you could kind of have everything in a in fields that you could. Quanti- that you could query and, and do some sort of analysis with. It's kind of a, a clunky format that is that is difficult to to do that sort of analysis on. And uh, not standardized and and right. very far from inclusive. I mean, there yeah. are probably uh, there are probably. I mean, how many scouting reports do you think are fi- filed about a, a player filed about a player in his career? Uh, not not counting when he's in the not counting advanced scouting, just as a uh, as a drafty slash minor leaguer uh, 300, 400? 
there for all teams be. put together. Um, yeah, it has to be a lot. Yeah. Yes. I, so yeah. and we're seeing we're seeing one to one to six of okay. these. Mm-hmm. I yeah, will say so. my my primary interest in them was um, in seeing. I mean, it, it was exciting. The idea I think is probably more exciting to me than the actual presentation. Not to say that the Hall of Fame has done a poor job at all in presenting them, but as you know, like I don't necessarily know how to use them quite yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I was most excited for the potential writing opportunities, and we mentioned this earlier with regard to watching a game. Right. I, um, I th- thought Grant Brisby did an excellent job at uh, Baseball Nation of uh, looking at five what, five little-known scouting reports or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, essentially rewriting uh, using the same font um, reports for Derek Jeter at that time or R.A. Dickey. Uh, that was very amusing. Um, I mean, insofar as full of lies. Uh, funny, and then I know Jeremy Blackman, who writes for Knockrafts, he also did a piece called. Uh, oh, so he has a character um, whose voice he writes called Hopeless Joe, uh, and Hopeless Joe is um, is not a, he's a, he's a he's not a happy man, uh, and so for example he did he submits uh, Hopeless Joe's scouting report of B.J. Upton, mostly Hopeless Joe um, wonders why we bother at all, and he says <laughs> the same things about B.J. Upton. I read uh, that in the. And, and you, what's that? I said I, I read that and I enjoyed it. Oh, okay, yes, very good. Um, and, uh, yes, that was the point, I hope. Uh, yeah, so I think that was actually my main interest. Um, I mean, it's fun to see, what, the Wade Boggs one. I saw Wade Boggs one today, recently, maybe, and Wade Boggs, uh, it's like, oh, he's going to need to learn something with the bat. He's going to need to be better with his bat. But, of course, he ended up being one of the best with his bat. That was what he was good at. So it's hard to say, you know. But yeah, that scout probably did other things that were good. So it's hard, it's hard to make any conclusions, I guess, draw any conclusions. I suppose it's mostly interesting at this point for those sort of like voyeuristic purposes where you can kind of mm-hmm. see, uh, see what's going on in organizations, at least organizations as they existed 25 years ago. Yeah, I, scouts basically do two things when they're looking at players of that level. They, they describe and then they extrapolate, they predict. And I, I think, I think it's probably not that helpful as a predictive, that, to look back at what their predictions are, to be honest, because they're gonna be, some of them are gonna be spectacularly right and some are gonna be spectacularly wrong. And I, I honestly don't think we can learn all that much about which ones they're right about or which ones they're wrong about, because we're not seeing them on, and you know, things happen. I do think that the descriptive elements of it are probably interesting and useful. When I was a news reporter, uh, any, anytime you were writing about any, anybody, the first thing you were supposed to do is basically check the archives and um, maybe check LexisNexis to make sure that you're not dealing with a criminal who is, you know, like the, the, the guy leading the, the, the fundraiser isn't actually someone horrible who you're going to be really embarrassed the day the story comes out. Uh, <laughs> monster. And uh, I feel like uh, in a similar way, although for completely different reasons, uh, I feel like anybody I write about now, the, the first thing to do is to go to go look and see if there are any of these out there because uh, it is a it is it's a rare snapshot of uh, getting to have a player described to you totally honestly by a person who knows and we rarely get that we get descriptions from announcers from from broadcasters from writers and from self-interested GMs and or you know self-interested managers or from our own flawed flawed eyes and um, you know, it's it's very rare that you get a, a totally honest 
account from somebody who's good. And so I think that for your own for your own writing about players and for your own analysis of players, it's useful to see this this snapshot that sets a, uh, that helps you set a clear trajectory from a from a point that is true. Now, part of the problem is that uh, in my as far as I can tell, these are mainly players who are higher or long past the uh, the age of, of mystery. So you're not gonna like. I don't think you're gonna. I don't think you're gonna be able to like look up Stephen Pierce, for instance, and, and read a Stephen Pierce scouting profile. I, I could be wrong. Have you guys seen many contemporary players? Any contemporary players? Uh, I think they would all be. They would all be veterans who are approaching the end of their careers at this point. Right. Yeah. Or some. So, so it'd be. Uh, uh, you know, the, like I see that there's a Lance Bergman one in here and. I mean, there's there's some of this, and and so I'll look up, especially for veterans, I'll look it up. But it would be even more amazing. The, the closer they get to, I mean, the more there are, the better it'll be, and the more contemporary they are, the better it'll be. And that's it. I gotta go. All right. Uh, so wait, Ben, do you want to do your your uh, closing, or shall we do mine first? We don't really have a closing. We oh, just well, kind of say that's it. It's over. Oh well, I'm, can I can I say can I do my closing then? Yes, by all means. Uh, I want to thank um, I want to thank. Uh, who do I, I want to thank some people? Um, I want to thank Sam Miller, for example. Sam, thank you. Yeah. Uh, of baseball. I want to thank Ben Lindbergh, um, editor, editor of, I guess editor. You're an editor of some sort of. Editor in chief. Editor in chief of baseball perspective. I want to thank you, Ben Lindbergh. You're welcome. Okay. Uh, I'm. Uh, that has been Sam Miller, Ben Lindbergh. I'm Carson Testuli, and this has been Fangraphs Audio, and not and also not Fangraphs Audio. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, so I will send you that that portion. Yeah, that would be great. It was uh, just sort of for, sort of towards the end. Of the-